Welcome to the fourth episode of the Red-Headed League by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Enjoy. My friend was an enthusiastic musician, being himself not only a very capable performer but a composer of no ordinary merit. All the afternoon, he sat in the stalls wrapped in the most perfect happiness, gently waving his long thin fingers in time to the music. while his gently smiling face and his languid dreamy eyes were unlike those of Holmes the sleuth hound Holmes the relentless keen-witted ready-handed criminal agent as it was possible to conceive in a singular character the dual nature alternately asserted itself and his extreme exactness and astuteness represented as i have often thought the reaction against the poetic and contemplative mood which occasionally predominated in him the swing of his nature took him from extreme languor to devouring energy and as i knew well he was never so truly formidable as when for days on end he had been lounging in his armchair amid his improvisations and his black letter editions then it was that the lust of the chase would suddenly come upon him and that his brilliant reasoning power would rise to the level of intuition until those who were unacquainted with his methods would look askance at him as on a man whose knowledge was not that of other mortals when i saw him that afternoon so enwrapped in the music at st james hall i felt that an evil time might be coming upon those whom he had set himself to hunt down You want to go home, no doubt, doctor," he remarked as we emerged. "Yes, it would be as well," I answered. "And I have some business to do which will take some hours. This business at Coburg Square is serious," replied Holmes. "Why serious?" I asked. "A considerable crime is in contemplation. I have every reason to believe that we shall be in no time to stop it. But today, being Saturday, rather complicates matters. I shall want your help tonight," said Holmes. At what time? I asked. Ten will be early enough," replied Holmes. "I shall be at Baker Street then at ten," I replied. "Very well. And I say, Doctor, there may be some little danger, so kindly put your army revolver in your pocket." He waved his hand, turned on his heel, and disappeared in an instant among the crowd. I trust that I am not more dense than my neighbors but I was always oppressed with a sense of my own stupidity in my dealings with Sherlock Holmes here I had heard what he had heard I had seen what he had seen and yet from his words it was evident that he saw clearly not only what happened but what was about to happen while to me the whole business was still confused and grotesque as I drove to my house in Kensington I thought over it all from the extraordinary story of the red-headed copier of the encyclopedia down to the visit to Sake's Coburg Square and the ominous words with which he had parted from me what was this nocturnal expedition and why should i go armed where were we going and what were we to do at the hint from holmes that this moon-faced pawnbroker's assistant was a formidable man a man who might play a deep game i tried to puzzle it out but gave it up in despair and set the matter aside until the night should bring an explanation
It was quarter past nine when I started from home and made my way across the park and so through Oxford Street to Baker Street. Two hansoms were standing at the door and as I entered the passage, I heard the sound of voices from above. On entering the room, I found Holmes in animated conversation with two men, one of whom I recognized as Peter Jones, the official police agent, while the other was a long, thin, sad-faced man with a very shiny hat and oppressively respectable frock coat. Ha! Our party is complete! said Holmes, buttoning up his pea jacket and taking his heavy hunting crop from the rack. Watson, I think you know Mr. Jones of Scotland Yard. Let me introduce you to Mr. Merriweather, who is to be our companion in tonight's adventure. We are hunting in couples again, Doctor, you see, said Jones, in his consequential way. Our friend here is a wonderful man for starting a chase. All he wants is an old dog to help him to do the running down. You may place considerable confidence in Mr. Holmes, sir, said the police agent loftily. He has his own little methods which are, if you won't mind my saying so, just a little too theoretical and fantastic. But he has the makings of a detective in him. It is not too much to say that once or twice, as in that business of the Sholto murder and the Agra treasure, he has been more nearly correct than the official force. Oh, if you say so, Mr. Jones, it is all right, said the stranger with difference. Still, I confess that I miss my rubber. It is the first Saturday night for seven and twenty years that I have not had my rubber. I think you'll find, said Sherlock Holmes, that you will play for a higher stake tonight than you have ever done yet, and that the play will be more exciting. For you, Mr. Merriweather, the stake will be some £30,000, and for you, Jones, it will be the man upon whom you wish to lay your hands. John Clay, the murderer, thief, smasher and forger. He's a young man, Mr. Merriweather, but he is at the head of his profession, and I would rather have my bracelets on him than on any criminal in London. He's a remarkable man, his young John Clay. His grandfather was a royal duke, and he himself has been to Eton and Oxford. His brain is as cunning as his fingers, and though we meet signs of him at every turn, we never know where to find the man himself. He'll crack a crib in Scotland one week and be raising money to build an orphanage in Cornell the next. I have been on his track for years and have never set eyes on him yet. I hope that I may have the pleasure of introducing you tonight. I have one or two little turns also with John Clay, and I agree with you that he is at the head of his profession. It is past ten, however, and quite the time that we started. If you two will take the first handsome, Watson and I will follow in the second. Sherlock Holmes was not very communicative during the long drive and lay back in the cab humming the tunes which he had heard in the afternoon. We rattled through an endless labyrinth of gas lights until we emerged into the Farrington Street. We are close there now, my friend remarked. 
This fellow Meriwether is a bank director and personally interested in the matter. I thought it as well to have Jones with us also. He is not a bad fellow, though an absolutely imbecile in his profession. He has one positive virtue. He is as brave as bulldog and as tenacious as a lobster if he gets his claws upon anyone. Here we are. They're waiting for us.